Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Hello, Global Investor listeners. Before we start today's show, I want to let you know about Belgrad Homes in Tyler, Texas. They're offering newly constructed 130 square meter, 1400 square foot homes for $145,000. They are offering financing to U.S. and foreign investors for 30 years at 6% interest with a 30% down payment. If you're interested, please contact belgradhomes.com, spelled B-E-O-G-R-A-D homes.com. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today, we have Chris Prefontaine. Chris has been involved in real estate for nearly 30 years. Over that time, he built over 100 single-family homes and owned a real estate brokerage that he eventually sold to Coldwell Banker. Chris focuses currently on purchasing homes with lease purchases and owner financing, along with coaching new real estate investors. So thanks so much for being on the show, Chris. Yeah, thanks for having me. Pleasure. So can you give us a little bit of your professional background prior to getting involved in real estate and your current real estate business? Well, yeah, you, you date me here, but this would have been <laughs> prior to real estate for me would be pre-91. Um, so I, I grew up in a family company, not related to real estate whatsoever. Only in that uh, he, my father would buy, uh, build buildings and rent it back to his own business, which was a welding business, welding supply business. It wasn't real estate, but that's how I kind of saw what was going on in real estate and what the potential was and understanding like how the heck are you building your own building and renting it back to yourself? You know, I didn't understand the whole thing, but that's what got me into real estate. And then that led into building, which you mentioned, and then a brokerage and then coaching by like 2000, I was starting to coach and do my own investments. So what were your first, uh, well, first of all, why'd you choose real estate as your investment vehicle? Yeah. You know, it's always intrigued me. I, I'm going back to uh, 80s when I would pick up and nothing to do with political, political back then with Trump's books. I mean, I, I would just devour his first, I think he did one and they did another one a little bit later, but uh, that just got me intrigued. And I, I'd always had uh, been around it because of my father. So he would flip land and do those buildings. And I just see it. And I was always intrigued. Yeah. My first real estate book too is Art of the Deal by Trump back in the yeah. 80s. My dad had it and he, uh, he was a real estate investor and he had it already um, underlined and highlighted for stuff that sure. he thought was important. So you're looking through it and you didn't even know anything about it. I'm reading it and it's pretty interesting. But um, so what were your first couple real estate investments? Uh, I remember specifically, we did a, um, tied up a, a, a split level home on a golf course, back to golf course. And, but next to it was an extra piece of land. And my partner uh, was, familiar with that. And so I learned how to uh, subdivide the land, uh, get it approved. And then we built a duplex on the land and then kept the house as a rental and eventually sold two sides of the duplex separately because you could there and then sold off the uh, rental eventually. So you got, you know, basically three deals out of that one deal. So that's, that's what I started playing with in my earlier days. Were you working full time at that time? I, I was still the family company when I did that. And then I made the break in 91 my dad sold the company with the intention of me staying and they fired me in about, I don't know, a month or two. It wasn't long. I didn't last long. Um, they didn't want entrepreneurs on board, right? They wanted employees. So they, they, they canned me and then I started doing building right then. I hooked up with a builder. I never built before. But I hooked up with a builder and started doing that when they, when they fired me. In, in 91? Because that's a pretty tough yeah. time to be starting building. Well, it was wacky because it was a tough time to start A and B. Uh, I had two kids, one and two. 
or two and three, you know, what a borderline. So I had to start from scratch with that as a backdrop. And I say that for people out there thinking, oh, I wonder if I can make the move or, you know, the chaos now with the virus. You can do it if you just ask how and get around the right people. Yeah, for sure. So you, you work on a, a kind of a unique investing tactic, uh, lease purchases. Can you explain how buying on terms works? Sure. So if you, if you stick with, for the sake of this discussion, we can delve further, um, Charles, but for the lease purchase, let's use, I literally just hung up with a gentleman. His house was six twenty nine nine. He wanted, of course, with what's going on right now, the, this stuff works even better, what we do. His mortgage was about 500. So in the simplest form, I said to him, his name was Michael. I said, Michael, basically what it means, because he didn't know either. So he, I said, what it means is I'm going to agree that your house is worth around six twenty nine. You just told me your mortgage is 500. I'm gonna guarantee you 129.9 equity on it before 60 months. We used to say two or three years. Now we have the luxury of pushing that out and sales are open because of what's going on. And then at the end of that term, I'm also gonna pay off your loan. But remember that 500 loan won't be 500 in five years. It'd be a lot less. So that's to my benefit. So during that lease purchase, what happens? We pay the mortgage payment, but we're collecting something higher from our buyer who's in the home who needs just time, time to either enhance credit or time to save for down payment. That's it, that's all that matters. And this is how I explained it to him like a half hour ago. And then uh, during that time frame, I'm gonna get that buyer mortgage ready, but we didn't put them in there until we knew they could get mortgage ready. And I say that because there's a lot of teachings and it's public, it's not like I'm talking out of school about people that they say, well, it doesn't matter, put a buyer in there and if they don't qualify, put another buyer, collect another deposit. Although it might be okay legally how they do it, morally and ethically it stinks. So we pre-qualify buyers to make sure they're going to actually be able to cash this home out and win at the end. So that's, a, that's in a nutshell what the lease purchase is. But I can go back to any part of that if you want. Yeah. So it's, um, when you're using this strategy, uh, are you using it for how, how long does it last for? And I mean, you're taking one deposit. So you're obviously, you're doing the due diligence. You're doing the background check on that tenant or soon to be buyer of the property. Um, yep. What kind of, what do you have to make sure that you're doing when you're reviewing that tenant and how do you kind of structure the, um, the exit strategy, I guess? Yeah, a bunch of different things there, good points. So on the buyer side, they go through the normal criminal and, and sexual harassment, all that. But then on the mortgage side, they check their front end and back end housing ratios, just like a regular mortgage broker would do but they have in mind, okay, this person needs time for credit enhancement, but putting that aside, they check all the other ratios. Can they afford it? Are they going to be, is there any change coming where they're gonna have an increased income later on? They do the whole underwriting process. That's for the sake of setting up the buyer trials, but it's also for the sake of you liability-wise as an investor saying, look, I did everything I could possibly to get these guys to, to the finish line and they had a life event and they couldn't. So they can't blame you. You did all your homework, you documented the file, then the buyer, when, once you get them pre-qualified, signs the debt to income ratio, basically saying, look, here's my numbers and I'm not gonna screw it up. I'm not gonna go out and blow my debt up and screw it up and then try to blame someone. So all that's done up front. And then on the term to, to that question, um, that depends. So there's two depends. One is what's the buyer qualification? If, it's, if it comes back and tells us it's about 24 months with a little wiggle room, that tells me I gotta give them probably 30 or 36 months. Cause you gotta, you know, life happens. Yeah. And then, so my seller, is, my term has to be at least three years or more. So I'm safe cashing that out. Now, if I have a five year term or longer, which is the commonality right now, well, 
I wouldn't have to push and prod and stress out the buyer as much. I could say, look, you get plenty of time, but you got to keep in check here. So the deals range from two years to 10 years, really, is the broad answer. So if you're, I mean, obviously for the buyer, they're not able to qualify for this mortgage for this, you know, to be able to live in this property. And they wouldn't be able to live in there with the option of purchasing it in a different scenario. So that, right. that makes sense. With the seller, why would a seller, um, I mean, these times are different. I understand now with COVID. Yeah. Um, but why would a seller uh, in normal circumstances or even um, in, in most circumstances, would they be willing to do this other than just say, hey, I'm putting it on the market. I have that $129,000 of equ equity. I can, you know what I mean? Why would yeah. they want to do that? And then how do you profit off of that? Sure. So the first part, is, and let's go pre-COVID, like you said, um, would be a couple things in no particular order. One is they can't sell it. So the expired listing market is big for us. They were on the market and it expired. I don't care how hot a market is, there's expired listings. And why are there expired listings? I don't know, it could be functional, could be price a lot of times. So we'll get them to their price that they couldn't get on the open market. We'll just do it over time. So that's one reason they'll hang in there. It's not for someone who needs their equity out today and, and is willing to just lower their price. It's for everyone else that's okay waiting for their equity. They'll get more with us over time. In fact, the longer they go, the more they'll get. Um, so that's the from the selling end. Um, it could be uh, other sellers, could be we, we do a lot of work in the for rent by owner market. So you have burnt out landlords, frankly, and they'll do it with us. Uh, they don't want to deal with realtors. Uh, people who are perhaps right tight to the line with how much they owe and how much it's worth, can't afford to pay a realtor, can't come out of pocket, don't want a short sale, all of those things, anything that doesn't fit in the box of I need my money today, they're better off doing terms with us. Yeah. 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 I would and imagine. The second so. part was which, what was the second part of that question? It was a good one. How, how you make money. Yeah, that's a good one. All right. <laughs> so here's what I like for the, for the investors. And I know your group is pretty diverse, which is neat. We create three paydays per deal. Three. So this differs dramatically from a wholesale or a flipper or building homes like I did. It's a payday up front when they come in with a non-refundable down payment. We average around 28 grand. And that could be up front and or over time, to full disclosure. Second payday is I collect a uh, check from my tenant buyer and I pay the mortgage. That spread that's remaining is mine. Ranges 300 to 1,000 a month per property. We carry 50 or 60 of these at any one time. And then payday three is the back end whereby I marked up the house, but I also had principal pay down on that mortgage that we talked about earlier. All three paydays for us as a family company range around 75,000 over time. And for our students, low of 45,000 out in Arizona to a high of 250,000 in California and on up. I mean, some deals have been really high lately. So on that second payday, which is kind of like the arbitrage, the kind of almost residual income there for that set term, whatever it is, 24 plus months. Um, how have you been able to structure, do you structure deals like this that you hold yourself? Um, maybe that you may rent out and you might take care of with the with the end goal, whatever, five years on the road of actually refinancing out that owner and keeping the property yourself? Or is this strictly this, uh, this tactic, this strategy used for putting together the buyer with the seller and kind of managing in the middle until they're ready to buy? Uh, both, all of the above, because I can give you all kinds of scenarios, but one might be, I'll give you something I can think of off the top of my head. One might be, we have a buyer in a home right now. We had previously the sandwich lease setup that you and I just discussed. It's low rent home. I think we own low hundreds. We bought it for 160 or 170, but it's all been principal pay down. Uh, when I say bought, controlled. 
So the buyer needs more time. We don't dislike the buyer. We don't feel like throwing them out. So we're giving them more time, but we never would refi to sign personally on bank loans. We just don't do that. But sometimes we'll raise private money, take that seller out so they're happy, and then tell the buyer, hey, you got plenty of time now. Like, take a year or two if you want. We own the house. So that might be a scenario where we do take the owner out so they're happy and then keep going with our tenant buyer. Uh, other times if the tenant buyer has trouble, uh, we may simply extend the contract with the seller. Um, a lot of these deals, we, you and I are talking lease purchase right now, but a lot of these deals are seller financing mm -hmm. with principal only payments. So those go on, the longer they go, the better it is for us, you know, for principal pay down. It's, you said principal only payments or interest yeah. only? Oh, okay. On owner financing, we do principal only payments. So um, to your, I'll, I'll combine that with your earlier question about, do we keep any of these? So we've done recently a six and a four unit mm -hmm. that were free and clear, no mortgage. We structured, we bought them and we structured principal only payments, improved the rentals just like you would on any small multi. And then we did flip those out um, after like three or four years, but they were on a financing deal. So we have massive principal pay down and appreciation. So yeah, we, we, there's all kinds of scenarios. Our office building was owner finance for 20 years and we have nice. tenants in it. So whether I'm there or not, we're not physically there now, but when I'm there or not, it place covers itself. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's that's nice. I mean, owner financing is definitely um, a great way of purchasing any type of properties, whether they're for yourself uh, personally or for investment properties, definitely. Because I mean, so many constraints with the bank and other lending facilities. I mean, it's just... It's yeah, just not to mention upside. liability, right? I, I learned that the hard way in 08 when they all came knocking on whoever signed personally. Well, how about don't do that? You don't have to worry yeah. about it ever. Yeah, for sure. And uh, um, what kind of tips do you have for buyers uh, or for buyers and sellers on terms? So if one side of the transaction or the other. Well, let's go with, uh, uh, you're talking about buyers and sellers, sellers, the consumer, not the investor. Right. So if I was, if I was buying from you on say owner financing, what should, what would you look out for if you were advising? Yeah. And then what would I look out for? Yeah. Okay. So I just told that same gentleman. So this is on the seller side. He said, well, I have a couple other people that propose lease purchase too. Now, whether he did or not, I said to him, Hey, Michael, I get it. I either fit or I don't, but do you do diligence? And he said, okay, what do you mean? I said, we got a plus BBB rating and I've been at this for 30 years. So the people that are offering you these offers, and I don't want to know who they are, make sure they've been around, make sure they have a track record, make sure they do what they say they're going to do and make sure they're BBB rated. So I've set that expectation up in his mind to go do that as a seller. As a buyer, quite frankly, similar. Make sure that the investor is doing the due diligence and proving to you that they can help you win, get to the finish line, or else they're setting you up to fail. Then you're both going to be miserable in two years. Um, and also that the company's got a track record. And I'm not saying that a new person is not good. I have students that are new around the country, but they're tied to us nationally, so they have that credibility. Yeah, they, so they've, you're doing your due diligence with the person that you're getting into a contract, which, which yeah, makes sure. sense for any kind of makes sense yeah, for right. any type of business arrangement or or situation. Um, so with with what you're what we're talking about in regards to, I uh, just one other question before um, is I know you know none of us on just for listeners, none of us on this call are are attorneys, but when you're taking these properties, are you putting them into some kind of subject to trust? Is that how you're you're taking control of these properties? Um. Okay, so different answers for that are on the country. Us personally, we use mostly LLCs. Um, so we'll put a bunch into one LLC because we're either controlling on the lease purchase or owning on the owner financing or we do buy subject to as well, subject to existing financing. We will use a trust trials in one case and that is where we are buying them sub to the existing financing. 
Um, it's not going to ever negate a do on sale cost. It's just going to help your setup because what we do, and again, to your point, I'm not an attorney. This is just what we chose to do. What we chose to do is because of the Garmin St. Germain Act in like 82 or whatever it was, where you could move property in a family trust, we put it, if I bought your home, uh, 123 Jump Street, and it was subject to your existing financing, the loan stays in your name, I buy the property, I'll put it into 123 Jump Street Child's Family Trust. Mm-hmm. And so the, the appearance is that it's done for estate planning reasons. But frankly, if you keep the payment up, you shouldn't have a problem. Again, my opinion, yeah. banks want to get paid. They don't, want to, they don't want a property. So we have a whole bunch of those, but we just make sure they get paid on time. Yeah, for sure. That's a big thing. Um, the trust and putting it to, uh, especially where I am in Florida, like uh, they do, it, it's, it's a very common thing. So uh, we find ourselves right now in COVID and everything's very uncertain and we don't know what's going to happen, which is kind of similar probably to when you went through 2008 as an investor. So what happened and what knowledge did you gain from it other than uh, avoiding signing on debt yourself? Yeah, that's a biggie. That's a biggie. Um, Okay, here's the difference. I'll point this out though. And I've been saying this to people. Um, First of all, that back then it was, although it was widespread, it wasn't worldwide and even locally, there were pockets that were okay. Like the neighborhood I'm in, I hear, I wasn't here then, but I hear that during that time, it was, the neighbor was fine. The difference now is worldwide awareness, right? So you have banks forgiving, you have sellers needing help, you have buyers need, it's a totally different animal right now. Now, what happens after this, who knows? I, you know, I wish you and I could say we knew, but no one knows that. Um, I will say this, we set the terms business up to be as recession resistant as we possibly could to the point now where we have, we can't take ourselves and our, and our students around the country can't handle all the stuff coming in buyers and sellers because they need us right now. Uh, realtors can't do opens banks aren't financing. If they are, you got to be super strong. As you know, seven, seven twenty credit, seven fifty for jumbos. Well, you just took a whole bunch of buyers and flushed them out of the market and now they need our pathway. And so we're helping, the potential to help tens of thousands of, of people. So that's the big difference from the recession till from the 08 recession till now. And again, who knows what'll happen in a month or two, but I do know this, if you're positioned in the terms market, then you're going to be positioned super well. Um, so that's not an opinion. That's fact what's going on right now. Yeah. And the, the other thing too, is if people are listening and they don't understand why someone would sell is because if you know your other option, if you can't put it on the market and get what you want, and it's months and months and months down the road that you're that that might sell or might not sell, and you don't know, there's so much uncertainty and so many payments you have to make up. Your other option is paying is uh, using one of like a cash buyer, right? And the formulas they use, I mean, are the 70 percent, sixty five percent of the value. I mean, it's they have there's there's so many people involved with it that have to make money. I mean, it's going to be the uh, it's going to be a dirt low offer that they're actually going to make for your property. So this is an, a very attractive uh, situation and strategy for a seller where they can get their money financially. They're not taking you know they're not taking a hit on it, a huge hit on it, and uh, they don't have to wait for the endless you know MLS, which who knows when that's going to sell. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, and and you just made me think of something else. And we could give all kinds of scenarios, but like the guy selling the building, the office building. He was conventional, very well-educated real estate investor. And he said, I want five point, whatever it was, uh, 5.3% interest. And I said, well, we usually do principal only. So what we came to terms on, we're both happy is for the first like nine months, we were able to hammer all our payments principal only. So it hammered down like 60 grand in principal in a course of six or nine months. Well, 
that's pretty cool because you'll never get that with a conventional mortgage. Then we converted it to 5.2% interest amortized. So we both won. So there's all kinds of different pivots here. So when someone hears me say principal only, if you say, well, would, would everybody do that? I don't know, but you can structure all kinds of deals. You can structure a deal where it's, I just did one yesterday with a student in Pennsylvania. Year one, principal. Year two, interest, but it tiered up each year. Like there's all kinds of ways you can do it. Yeah. It's, it's so powerful though. Real estate contracts. I was talking to someone years back and they told me that they negotiated putting an old BMW into a real estate contract when they were <laughs> buying a property. So, so you can do, I mean, you can do it any way you want. If you have someone that is going to be as creative with you, you can get the deal done, which is awesome. Yeah. We had a bot. We have this guy, Mike, good student. He's a coach now of ours too, but he's in um, California. So we had a house in agreement we had a buyer come in and the buyer was trying to work their down payment out and work it up so we could accept them. And he said, Hey, I got a, I got a, like a, it was a Pontiac, white Pontiac convertible. I forget what year, but it was a classic. And, and Mike said, okay. So they, they figured five grand in the, in the formula for how much deposit he's putting down. We sold it for 15 cash, like within three months. So he was happy. He got in the house and we were happy. We spun the car. We, nobody wanted to drive around in it. <laughs> yeah. It's problem solvers. I mean, that's what you yeah. guys do. And that's what, I mean, you all successful it. real estate investors do is they're solving a problem yeah. and you have to get creative one way or another and, um, you know, find those sellers that uh, yeah. want to be creative with you. So you, you coach a lot of uh, investors. You have your own uh, coaching program. So what do you consider some of the most common mistakes real estate investors uh, make? Maybe new, maybe existing. Uh, I got to write down so I don't forget. One is um, expectations. <clears throat> so it's a biggie because you got people online who are good marketers, but they're not really great investors. They're not in the trenches. So they're selling, you know, sometimes crap. And, and I'm not saying it's about everybody. So I'm not pointing any one finger, but I am saying that they're mismanaging so many expectations. So you get in and you get this program. I'm going to have this working tomorrow. I'm going to be making a million dollars. No, I, instead, I think that you need to put the blinders on for like 36 months with whatever niche you go in. It doesn't have to be ours. I'm not so naive to think it's just us. And, and so managing your expectations probably, big mistake if, you, if you're too short term with that. It's a great long term play, so don't cut yourself short. Secondly, um, part of that kind of goes hand in hand is shiny object syndrome. You know, you are better off, and that's not just real estate, it's any business. You are better off tightening, 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 tightening your niche. You'll get more business, not less. Versus I'll do a flip. Oh, this wholesale deal looks good. Oh, I'll do the lease. It's too much. You can't possibly be an expert. And in this market, especially with COVID, but before COVID, to be the authority that people look to for the knowledge, the specialist. It's like if you're super sick, pick an ailment, it doesn't matter. Would you call a generalist or would you call like the best person on that thing? So you need to be the authority in your area. And you can't do that if you get the shiny object syndrome. You got to focus laser and be great at one thing. Yeah, which is definitely an issue with anything with the coaching because there's so many different real estate strategies out there and someone goes, oh, well, that didn't work for me. Well, what did you do with it? Or this didn't work for me or I'm going to do this one. And then if you change 12 months, you're not going to be successful at any of them. Yeah, too short. Yeah. So um, you have uh, with your coaching program, can you explain how you guys teach and what's involved with the, uh, the smart real estate coach? Yeah, so sometimes I have a shirt that says bridge the gap. I have a different one today, but what, what we're big on is bridging the gap. And the gap that we define, Charles, is the time from when someone goes to a seminar or a virtual seminar now or takes a course, and then the time it takes to get a deal done. I've had, we get this weekly, but I have two students that spent six figures on education before meeting us to the point where their spouses were like, you're not doing something else. And they luckily came in and they're doing deals and they're well over a million. But 
there's too much of that going on where people are just selling stuff. So what's the difference to your question? We do deals with people. So we're all about transactions. Our mission, our company is to do 1500 transactions by 2022. You don't do that by just selling stuff. You do that by doing transactions with your students. So um, we're going to bridge that gap big time. We call it time to first deal, TTFD. And we're tightening, tightening, tightening. Got it down to about 120 days for the average. And uh, in doing that, we also lock arms with these students and do deals. We revenue share and teach them. And like I said, I was talking to a seller earlier. That wasn't mine. That was one of my students. I called them. So we do deals like that in the trenches until they get better and better and more proficient. And then they kind of fly the coop and go on their own. Oh, awesome. Yeah, that's great. There's not too many uh, coaching programs out there where they actually partner with the students, which not. doesn't really help. I mean, an online course is great, but I mean, if you can't bring that and you can't integrate that into a deal or into your, your business life, I mean, it's, it's kind of worthless. Yeah, spot on. And the other piece of that is we, and it's in my book, I have a whole chapter that says what can go wrong because too many times you go to the seminar or online course and you think it's great. And you, your first curveball, you go, what happened? It's supposed to go this way. We tell you, everything. If you go on for free, just go on our YouTube channel and you look at all the deals, we break down over a hundred deals that we did, the real deals. And we say, here's what went sideways. Here's what worked. So you get to know, okay, I'm going to run into that. And it's okay. I know how to deal with it now. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So how can people learn more about you and your business, Chris? Uh, simple. If they go to the, the main site, smartrealestatecoach.com, and they don't mind listening to me go on for another 50 minutes like this, they can just do the free webinar. That's the best thing to do because it's more free. Uh, the YouTube channel is good because again, it's free. I'm big on someone doing due diligence, finding the niche they like, finding someone in that niche and then attacking it. So they can do that with us. Uh, and as I said to you right before the show, I'm happy to give this link. We used to use this link to physically mail the book. So right now we won't do that, but we won't charge you when it does come time to do it. Not even shipping. It's just go to free. S-R-E-C book.com, free S-R-E-C book.com. That'll be the Amazon uh, bestseller of real estate on your terms, which is our first of, of three books we did. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for being on the show today, Chris, and look forward to uh, speaking to you in the near future. Yeah, pleasure. Look forward to it. Thanks, Charles. Thank you. All right. Awesome. That was great. Thank you very much. Is that helpful? Yeah, it was awesome. A lot of great information. It's awesome to have different strategies and people on that utilize them in their, uh, in their daily real estate life. So, And do you have, quick question, do you have a need or a want to do, I don't know what your database looks like. We do a lot of these type things. Then we set up like live workshops for an hour if you want to do that and become, you know, you're an affiliate so you get paid on it. I don't know if you have a, a database that would, that would work for yeah, what we do is I can um, send me over the information and uh, what I'll do is I will add it to obviously to our website and then to different emails that we have when we send them out to our group. Oh, okay. So, Maybe I'll have uh, Kristen and Lauren circle back to and give you some ideas then. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, either way, it's um, there's a ton of information on your website and YouTube. I didn't get all into it, but it was, um, yeah, send it over. I would, I would love to review it and uh, get started. As okay. An That'd be awesome. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, Charles. Appreciate it, buddy. Be safe. Talk, talk to you soon. You too. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you. You too. Hi guys, it's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. 
Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Harborside Partners Incorporated exclusively.